The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. December 10th, 2023, Delighting in the Lord, Part 2. All right, we'll get started with prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word, Lord, and for all of these just major road signs you give us that point to delighting in Christ, Lord, delighting in you and rejoicing because we have your Holy Spirit, Lord. You have given us every good and perfect gift, and we are so thankful this morning, Lord. And I pray that you would help this idea of just being thankful and rejoicing and delighting and resting in you would carry through not just today but this week and this month and just into the new year lord it is your desire for us and i think that if we haven't already we'll see that so clearly when we look to your word and hopefully um, by your spirit's power we'll be able to point to that today lord and i just pray that you would be with us during this time lord help me to speak the words that you want spoken help um each one here hear what you have specifically for her and lord would you just cause us to leave even more joyfully than we came in this morning and that's a a tall order because women came in very joyful and i'm thankful for that lord and so we dedicate this time to you and ask that you would just be our guide through your word in your son's name we ask amen Amen. all right so we are continuing in our series called delighting in the lord today Um, We've referenced Psalm 37, and that's where we're going to start again this Lord's Day. If you want to turn there with me, (coughs) excuse me, got a little something this morning. Um, We're going to start in verse 3 and read down 37, 37, yes, and we're going to read from verse 3 down to the end of verse 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. (coughs) We've had a lot of conversations about replacing our inordinate desires, a.k.a. our idols, with um, spiritual affections. So savoring Christ relishing in his word, being satisfied in him, and delighting. Those are the ingredients in having joy in God. So I really want to commend the Psalms to you today as a wonderful place to seek the joy we're commanded to have in the Lord. Um, This commands all over the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, and Lord willing and time willing, we'll look at both today, but we're going to start in the Psalms. Um, So if you want to turn to the Psalms, you can kind of go toward the beginning of the book. We're going to make our way through, but I'm going to just start toward, well, not really the end. Um, But I'm going to start in Psalm 118 because I want you guys to see, we looked at some bookends last week. We're going to look at bookends again today. Psalm 118, verse 1, and Psalm 118, verse 29, the last verse, they begin and end in the same place. And it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And it ends in exactly the same way. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. These bookends are here to show us clearly who God is and what he's done. 
Um, we hear sometimes about the difference between the indicatives in Scripture and the imperatives in Scripture. So what is an imperative in Scripture? It's a command, right? It's language that tells us we are to do this. This is something that the Lord says, do it, do this. And rejoice is a command we see throughout Scripture. What is, this might be a tougher question, I'm not sure, what is an indicative in the Scriptures? Statement of fact. Okay. Becky? Yeah. Although, it's not a promise, though. No, it's not a promise. Because it... Would it would an indicative be like train up a child in the way they should go and they should not depart? No, that would actually be a command to train up a child in the way that he should go. But it's you're right. It, it, there's not a promise attached to it. The indicative is the statement of fact, which gives us the reason. So, in other words, based on the character of God, right? The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever is the indicative, and the imperative is, so give thanks to him, right? We give thanks because he is good. So the indicative almost gives us the reason why. So it's based on the character of God that he is trustworthy, and we are commanded to trust him. So there there are both. Go ahead. Well, in the New Testament, in the epistles, we see that quite frequently, where like the first, in Ephesians, I think it's the first three chapters Mm -hmm. are the indicative. It lays out the case for why, and then it tells us what to do. And the same thing with some of the other epistles, where it's, it's all about Christ, pretty much. And salvation is the reason and the character. Yeah, so because God is who he says he is, he's done everything thus far that he said he will do, we can have confidence and place our trust in him that he will do everything else he has said he will do because he is trustworthy. So his promises are trustworthy. Um, So we would say in Psalm 118 with Israel, it says, verse 2, let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord that's us, right, say his steadfast love endures forever. So because his steadfast love endures forever, we ought to give thanks. We ought to trust in him. We ought to be people of great joy because he does indeed love us, even when things are difficult. So we are going to take a look through the Psalms, through many of the Psalms this morning. But I want to start with... a little bit of an overview of some themes in the Psalms. And I'm just going to take this directly from my MacArthur Study Bible because I couldn't reword it any better than he worded it. So the basic theme of Psalms is living real life in the real world, where two dimensions operate simultaneously. One, a horizontal or a temporal reality. And two, a vertical or transcendent reality. Without denying the pain of the earthly dimension, the people of God are to live joyfully and dependently on the person and promises standing behind the heavenly and eternal dimension. So we are to live joyfully, that's the imperative, because of the person and um, standing behind the promises, that's the indicative. We know these things to be true. All cycles of human troubles and triumphs provide occasions for expressing human complaints, confidence, prayers, or praise to Israel's sovereign Lord. In view of this, Psalms presents a broad array of theology 
practically couched in day-to-day reality. The sinfulness of man is documented concretely, not only through the behavioral patterns of the wicked, but also by the periodic stumblings of believers. The sovereignty of God is everywhere recognized, but not at the expense of genuine human responsibility. Life often seems to be out of control, and yet all events and situations are understood in the light of divine providence as being right on course according to God's timetable. Assuring glimpses of a future God's day bolsters the call for perseverance to the end. This book of praise manifests a very practical theology. And that's why we're here, right? To be practical, to say, okay, what does this mean for us? How do we delight in the Lord based on who he is, what he does, and what our lives look like in this moment, whether that's good or whether that's very hard. So let's look at some more of these practical psalms. There are psalms that offer wisdom for right living. There are those that help us see how to properly lament when life is very difficult, um, particularly when it's at the hands of others. There's a lot of that in the Psalms. If you just think about David, some of his laments are because others were pursuing him. There are Psalms that help us see the pattern of genuine repentance for the very real sin in our own lives. And there are those that emphasize um, the biblical word kingship, but as we've been talking about even just the lordship of Christ over our lives. And there are psalms that offer a pattern of giving thanks. So let's look at a few. Let's turn to Psalm 5. And let's see, we'll start here with Brittany. And we're just going to go around. I'm going to give you a psalm to read. Would you read Psalm 5, verse 11, Brittany? Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. All right, Carol, would you turn to Psalm 16? Give you a minute to get there. And you can all turn with her. Is there some okay, verse 11. Verse 11 says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That sounds a lot um, like when Christ said he came so that our joy may be full, right? He he wants us to have his joy so that it would be full. Maureen, Psalm 19. Becky, you can start turning to 21 if you want. Verse 8, Maureen, and 19. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Becky, Psalm 21, verse 1. In your strength the king rejoices, O Lord, and in your help how greatly he exalts. And the ESV actually says, in your salvation how greatly he exalts. So, yes. Um, Jen, verse uh, chapter 30, verse 5 in the Psalms. Molly, you'll have 32.11 if you want to look it up. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may carry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Molly, 32.11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright heart. Ella, would you read 33, verse 1? Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise the fist be upright. And 
while you are looking for 66 verse 1, um, I just want to read that last part again. Praise befits the upright. So we ought to be people who are praising. It is fitting for us in the Lord, right? All right, Judy Joe, 66, 1. Make a joyful shout to God all the earth. Yes, amen to that. Um, Georgia, 68, verse 3. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before God, they shall be jubilant. And Elizabeth, would you go all the way to 95, verses 1 and 2? And I know I'm missing a lot in between. These are just a few that I grabbed onto that will hopefully encourage us this morning. <coughs> oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And verse 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with songs. Yes, excellent. The ESV says make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Um, 96, verse 11, Liz. Kelly, you'll be 9711. Psalms, sorry, mm-hmm. if you want to look that up. 96. Yes, uh, you'll be 97. Liz is 96, verse 11. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Mm-hmm. And Kelly, 9711. Um, light is sown for the righteous and the joy for the upright in heart. Excellent. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 100, verse 2, and then Brittany will read us 105, verse 3. So 100, verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness! Exclamation point. Come into his presence with singing. Excellent. Exclamation point. So those exclamations are very good. 105 verse 3, Brittany. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Excellent. Carol, would you go to 126 verse 2? And then Maureen, you'll have 132 verse 9. And Becky, 150 verse 4. And then we'll move on. So 126 verse 2 first. Our mouths, <coughs> excuse me. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. And Maureen 132, verse 9. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your godly ones sing for joy. And Becky, 150, verse 4. Praise them with tambourine and dance, and praise them with strings and pipes. So these should be our expressions to the Lord, right? We should be thankful. We should be joyful. Um, and everything that's going on in our hearts, right, out of the mouth, the or out of the heart, I can't remember it, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. See what happens when I don't write it down in my notes. Um, but it is like these things are coming out of the heart. These things ought to be coming out of our hearts. But as we read in this overview, um, All cycles of human troubles and triumphs provide occasions for expressing human complaints, confidence, prayers, or praise to Israel's sovereign Lord. So we too have that choice, right? Are we going to complain? Are we going to pray? Are we going to express confidence in the Lord? Or are we going to praise the Lord for whatever's happening? That doesn't mean that we're necessarily enjoying what's happening, but we can praise him because he is sovereign over it, whatever it is. Um, And that's just an important aspect to keep in mind. So um, everything that's going on in our hearts, we ought to be expressing to the Lord.
even the things that go on in our hearts that don't seem very godly in the moment, right? We can let our complaints out to him. And we probably ought to so that we don't let our complaints out to others. Not that it's bad to communicate when things are hard. We just have to be careful where our hearts are and and where we're going. So we're to do those things by faith, with gratitude, and in rejoicing. Um, So consider for a moment with me, someone you probably don't often consider a whole lot, the prophet Habakkuk. Um, I'm going to read again a bit of MacArthur's commentary here just to give a little bit of context. Um, Again, under historical and theological themes, it says, Justice had essentially disappeared from the land. Violence and wickedness were pervasive, existing unchecked. In the midst of these dark days, the prophet cried out for divine intervention. God's response, that he was sending the Chaldeans to judge Judah, creates an even greater theological dilemma for Habakkuk. Why didn't God purge his people and restore their righteousness? How could God use the Chaldeans to judge a people more righteous than they? God's answer that he would judge the Chaldeans also did not fully satisfy the prophet's theological quandary. In fact, it only intensified it. In Habakkuk's mind, the issue crying for resolution is no longer God's righteous response toward evil or lack thereof, but the vindication of God's character and covenant with his people. As did Job, the prophet argued with God, and through that experience, he achieved a deeper understanding of God's sovereign character and a firmer faith in him. And then in MacArthur's commentary, he references, so think about this for a moment, he references Job 45, which says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. End quote. Job understood who God was in a far more intimate and deep and personal way than he ever had. So then he turns to the only natural response to all he saw of God in verse 6, which says, quote, Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes, end quote. He repents. And that brought my mind to Isaiah 6, right, where you remember when he sees the vision of the Lord sitting on a throne Verse 1 tells us in Isaiah 6, he was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then he goes on to describe that whole scene in verse 5 of all of, like, everything that he sees with the seraphim. And then he says in verse 5, quote, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then just a few minutes later, he's cleansed, right? And the Lord says, who can I send? And he says, here I am, send me, right? Um, So back to MacArthur, he references Job 42, verses 5 and 6, and also Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, which say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So with that backdrop, listen to the last three verses of the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And just pause for a minute. So basically, life 
as normal. Life as he knew it, life as you expect it to go, was no longer, nothing was going in the expected way anymore. So back to verse 18, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. So that's his response. His response is one of praise, one of rejoicing, one of confessing that it is God himself who is his strength. And so MacArthur wraps up that section in his commentary by saying, quote, Ultimately, Habakkuk realized that God was not to be worshipped merely because of the temporal blessings he bestowed, but for his own sake, end quote. In other words, when everything that we think should be happening around us isn't, or everything that we don't want happening around us is, we should still, with him, say, verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Doesn't mean we're taking joy in our circumstances. It means we're taking God and we're taking joy in who He is. Yeah. Um, not to interrupt. But no, please. Often, I have to remind myself because my plans don't work out, mm-hmm. or people don't reciprocate, or whatever. I have to just trust in God because of who He is, and. Like you said, we have choice. Do we look this way mm-hmm. all around us, or do we look at him? And we know his character. We know he's trustworthy, and we know he's faithful. This isn't. This is changing moment yeah. by moment. And to me, you can find joy in God, who He is, because He has his, our best in His mind, in His heart. And his plans. <laughs> he does. Yeah. The problem is is that we don't define what's best for us the same way he defines what's best for us, right? Yeah. So, um, but he, he does know what's best. It is good. So, um, I was actually just thinking, and I did not have time to do this, but, um, like, just that meditation of God the Lord is my strength, right? Like, Nehemiah 8.10 says... Um, go your way. He's, he's saying to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So they're kind of saying the same thing. Like this is where we get strength from. Um, it would be really interesting to just do a study on that concept of the, like the joy of the, I'm sorry, that God is our strength being the motivation for our joy. Um, and just seeing how frequently that occurs in Scripture. I'm not sure, but I think it's probably more than I think it is. Um, so we have, as we talked about last week, we have limited earthly resources, right? We only have so many hours in a day. We only have so much energy, and that is actually more of a, what do you call that, a diminishing resource as we get older, as I'm finding. Um, but there should be no limit to my faith. There should be no limit to my joy or my expressions of gratitude to the Lord. Um, Yes, that should be increasing. Well, because it increases because our knowledge grows, right? When we're being faithful to the things that he's asked, our knowledge and our understanding is growing of who he is and what he's doing in our lives and our experiences that we can look back and go, okay, I don't know what you're doing right now, Lord, but I know what you were doing back then. 
Maybe. Or maybe not. <laughs> so, I, so I'm going to trust you because yeah. you're trustworthy. I know what you did for Israel in the whole of the Old Testament, right? I, I've seen your faithfulness, right? I mean, it's just like Job said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. We see who he is. We see what he's doing. The older we get. So sure, as our energy diminishes, our faith hopefully grows and gives us more strength. And when we depend on him for that strength, we really do have unlimited resources in Christ. But our human, earthly, physical resources are limited. Um, Let's look at Luke chapter 10 for a moment. And you might know this account better as the Mary and Martha story. Those of you who might be able to relate to one or the other, you don't have to confess with your mouth right now which one you might relate to. Um, Who's got a big, strong... Becky, would you read, um, and I asked for a big, strong voice because I want the recording to catch it too, verses 38 all the way down to 42, please. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered Martha, or answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. All right, who's got a different translation of verse 41? You are, it said, worried and distracted. Is that what you said, Becky? Yeah. Okay, worried and distracted. Worried and bothered. Worried and bothered. Brittany? Anxious and troubled. Anxious and troubled. Any other words? Worried and upset. Worried and upset. Okay, do we sometimes get... Worried and upset and anxious and bothered and troubled. And this passage reminds me of sometimes when I'm trying to get my house ready for people to come over. And my children are just getting all the games ready to play with their friends. Do you not know that we have things to do? And yes, um, not that that's the same at all. But, um, you know, we, to your point that you said a minute ago, we want what we want, right? And we want the people around us to be on our agenda. And really, we should just be on the Lord's agenda. That would be the, the much better thing. I like the distracted. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, we're distracted by our own agenda. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so we're not focused on what, you know, the little bits at the, time, at the moment. You know? Right. But because it's our agenda... It doesn't seem like a distraction. It seems like, well, this is the plan. This is what we should be focused on. Any other thing is a distraction, right? Right. It's the other things that are the distraction when really, I like your observation. That's good. It's very good. Um, So think about the two of them and how the distraction for her of all the things that needed to be done in her home took her eyes off the most important thing. And Jesus calls her out. Right? So good. Like when we studied idolatry, we said it's good when the Lord comes after us, right? It is good. We want to see those things. So um, he calls her uh, anxiety out, and I can't think of words other than what we just said, right? Being troubled, being distracted, being worried, being anxious, being all of those words um, that more clearly 
um, communicate the opposite of delight Mm -hmm. and joy Mm -hmm. and rest and peace and contentment that we're supposed to have in the Lord, right? I mean, those are all the antithesis of what we're supposed to be feeling, yet I completely understand her, right? This was her house. She wanted to make sure it was in order. She had an honored guest, right? Um, But it was Mary's home too, right? They were both hosting him, and she was choosing to do the better thing. Probably both things were needed on this occasion, right? But we need to seek the first things first. So resting in Jesus was good and necessary. Preparing to serve a meal was good and necessary. Otherwise, you get to the meal and there's no food, right? Someone has to prepare it. Um, So we talked about the necessity of serving our husbands, serving our children, keeping our homes in order last week. They're all good things and they're all necessary things. They're just not the first thing. So um, it's interesting. This went a direction I wasn't really expecting it to go, but I went with it, and I kind of like where the Lord took me at least, so hopefully you'll enjoy the ride. Have any of you ever heard of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey's book? Have, have any of you ever read it? Okay. Yes, me too. So many years, right, when I was working outside of my home. But they really apply to our spiritual, Kelly's like, yeah, they do. They really apply to our spiritual lives because we want to be highly effective for Christ, right? We want to do the things that he has us for do. He has for us to do with excellence, right? We want to be effective. So we're going to go through them real quick. Number one is put first things first. It's totally applicable, right? We want to have time with the Lord, and that really does need to be first, It's not an afterthought. We need to seek him first. This is what Jesus was telling Martha. This is what he's telling us in preserving this story for us, right? This story is here for us, ladies, for sure, Mm -hmm. right? Um, This was not an example of something the disciples were doing, right? The disciples were arguing about who was going to be the first in the kingdom. This is two ladies, and I think that's very purposeful for us. So, Put first things first. This is part of what's required to be highly effective for Christ in our homes, in our workplaces, outside of the home, everywhere our our lives take us, right? If we're at the grocery store, if we're at a sporting event, if we're at the library, if you're at the pharmacy, wherever your life takes you, we need to be prepared by him first for any of those encounters, right? Whether it's um, the frustration of trying to return something to a big store, and there's always a big line, right? Whether it's, oh, man, I have to go to the DMV and take a test this year to renew my license, right? We need to be girded up because those are situations that frequently cause impatience, irritability, frustration, Okay, notice those respectable sins, anxiety. Thank you for adding that. Um, So let's consider the rest of the habits and see if they also will help us bear fruit as believers. Number two is begin with the end in mind. So what would this look like for us? What is the chief end of man? 
Yes, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So if I'm thinking about beginning with the end in mind, if my end is to glorify God, my end is to enjoy him, and not just eternally, but here on earth, that is going to help me prepare my mind to be more effective for him in the world. All right, number three is to be proactive. We're going to get back to this in just a minute, but have you ever heard the worldly saying, those who fail to plan, plan to fail? Let's go back to those limited resources for a minute, right? Um, I've often heard, like, do the hardest things first when you're fresh, right? And when you're also not frustrated. But if it's a heavy job that needs to be done, do it when your strength is at its peak, right? Do those things first. Um, number four is synergize. So synergy, anybody know what the concept of synergy is? Yes. What's the concept of synergy, Becky? Um, synergy is um, two things coming together. Like in science, it's um, like a parasitic Okay. Relationship. Can be. With, yeah, can be. Yes, sometimes not. Because the idea of synergy is not one plus one equals two, but one plus one equals three. So you use the resources and the tools and the things that you have for work to their most effective. So that when you combine two things, you actually get a lot more than if they were just working on their own. Okay, that's the idea of a synergistic effect. When you work things together, that when you put them together are more than just the component parts that you're putting together. Okay. So, yes. It's just a combination of the two words, right? Synchronizing energy. Synergy. I don't know. Possibly. It, yeah, it could be. I don't really know. But that's, I love that. That's great. Um, Multitasking? Yeah, it's, well, it's multiplying our results without multiplying our effort. So using additive effort, but getting a multiplying result. Um, so I think that there are things that we can think about, in, especially in terms of like working with others, right? If you have a big job to do, two will oftentimes be better than one, right? If you think about a marriage relationship, two are better than one, right? There is that one flesh. There's that unity, and usually, um, you know, usually, not always, uh, the Lord puts a husband and wife together who have some strong differences. So we can use those in one of two ways. We can use them to result in a better, stronger family, right? Better, stronger parenting, to take one example. Or we can work against each other, right? And when we're working together as a team, as a team to use our individual strengths with our husband's individual strengths, we will not be divided and conquered, right? When we're not working together, our kids know our strengths, our kids know our weaknesses. Our kids are very good at dividing and conquering. Am I wrong? Yes. I was good as a kid at dividing and conquering. Often, as a wife, as a mother, as a homemaker, I forget to use my husband's strength. I forget to ask him. I remember telling my beautiful daughter, I said, Trinity, allow Michael to be the man that God made him. Yeah. Let him do. And that, wow, it frees you up. But then you get to learn from that other person because they are so different. Yeah. We are very different. And 
Right. So when we're talking about practical things, mm-hmm. one of the things that having another person alongside of you, whether it's your husband or sometimes a friend, is it helps you go farther. It does. That's mm-hmm. like that max. Yeah, because where I would want to give up, you know, a few years ago when I had Christmas company coming with my daughter and her fiance, it was like, how am I going to get all this stuff done? So mm-hmm. I called up one of my friends. I said, she says, I'm coming over. That's great. And I will help you. And so we went through. I would never have been able to do what got done without her alongside of me. And yeah. So that, to me, is a great example of the yeah. Acts. Or if you're going for a walk by yourself, this is a simple one. You go for a walk by yourself, you might not go as far as when you're walking and talking sure. with a friend. Yeah. But I like that. Yeah, I like the example of, you know, you were having someone into your home, you were serving, you were doing good for the Lord, and you needed a friend to come alongside and continue stirring you up toward love and good works, right? When we, I mean, the Lord says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you've said yes to something that you're not sure you have the strength to do on your own, sure, go to the Lord, but call a friend, right? Let's phone a friend when we need to. Um, Because not only can they help us do those things, but as we've talked about a lot, they can help us see those blind spots, right? Mm-hmm. And if there's something that, you know, is frustrating us in our marriage, we can sit and, you know, linger. Um, but I had a friend give me this, like, great little phrase recently. As his helper, could you say this? You know, instead of ignoring it and getting bitter and resentful about it, you know, as his helper, could you say to your husband, as your helper, how could I, you know, and, and get in there, get back in the game and not flounder in a hopeless place. So it's, it's good. That is synergy in the body working together. All right, number five. He says, sharpen the saw. And in the context of the book, he's talking about, like, sharpening your tools, right? So how do we do this? How do we sharpen our tools as we are trying to be effective for Christ? What do you think? In the Word of God, absolutely. Time spent in the Word of God is sharpening our saw. Anything else? Application. Okay. All of God's Word is yeah. application. Applying the Walk things that He's showing us. Yeah. Good. Good. Serving. Serving, yes. Serving by yourself, serving right alongside others. Absolutely. Learning new skills, whether, mm-hmm. you know, Brittany was talking about going to a master canters class this summer. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do something like that or have a friend come alongside, teach you something that you're weak in. Yes. You know, gird up in the practical things. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a wealth of giftedness and knowledge within the body of Christ for the spiritual things, but also the practical things, right, that help us. It's Again, it's that synergistic effect where if I have to manage my home and my budget and I'm looking at grocery store prices right now, are there some ways that I can do that? Can I tap into other ladies and say, how do you do these things to help stretch those dollars further, right? And that's a really good thing. Um, How about just spending time with other believers, right? Just being with one another, talking about the things that are going on in our lives. All of that is going to help us sharpen the saw, which I think spiritually means thinking very clearly about the Word of God, about the things that He's called us to do, about the commitments that we've made. Um, And when our minds are sharp and our lives are sharp, others will ask and we will stand ready to tell them the hope that's in us. Go to 1 Peter for just a moment. 
and we'll be in chapter 3. So verse 15 of chapter 3 does say, But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. But if you go back just a bit, like, what causes people to ask? People ask when they see a life that is, go back to verse 4, adorned by the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Right? That's the spirit that causes others to go, hmm, there's a lot going on in her life right now. And when I say others, I mean mostly unbelievers, right? How is she handling that? How is, how is that what she looks like when I know everything that's going on in the background of her life? But if we're not with unbelievers, will that be seen? Will that be evident? And many of us are just called to spheres of life where we're surrounded more by believers than we are by unbelievers. Many of us are called to spheres of life where we really are surrounded more by unbelievers than we are believers, you know, i.e. a prison ministry. Sometimes when you age, what you've learned, what you've experienced, then God says, hey, I gave you this. Mm." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I found that. I was very safe and protected. Yeah. And then all of a sudden went, Oh, am I supposed to be here, Lord? Do I really have to do this? Do I have to? You get to, right? You get to. I know, but it's hard. Yeah. But that's also the wisdom that younger women need in the body, right? So there's, it's both, right? We have to be in the body so that we can be Titus II women, seeking older women out for help with things that trouble us and helping those who are younger in the faith with the things that are troubling them because we may have walked those walks. In the past. So um, I did want to go back to verse 10 for just a moment. And I'm still in 1 Peter 3. um, Which says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So that sounds a lot like God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? So we want to be humble. We want to have a gentle and quiet spirit. We want our lives to demonstrate that focus on the Lord, the good that we know he is doing even when it doesn't necessarily feel good, even in circumstances that are difficult. When we look around like Habakkuk and say, nothing looks like it's supposed to right now. It's spring. Why are there no blooms on the tree? Right? It's, this is a season of life when I thought this, but this? Really, Lord? And he says, yes, this. This is for you. I am for you. So we can have that undergirding of joy even in those very difficult times. All right, number six. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Sounds a lot like Proverbs 18.13 to me, which says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. 
in James 1 verse 19, and I'll just go through verse 20, which says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So number six was seek first to understand, then to be understood. And then number seven um, is really good, but we have to take it very far out of a worldly context. Um, He says number seven is think win-win. What does that make you think about in Scripture? Win-win. Win the race? Sure. Or are we talking about win-win? No, win, W-I-N, you're right, win the race. Sorry, did I not enunciate that clearly? Win, win, right? We strive to win the race that we're running, right? The race of faith. So that he might say, well done, good faithful servant. Yeah, like that context. (coughs) I was just curious what it made you ladies think of, if anything. Mm -hmm. It made me think of Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, right? It's not about me. It's about Christ, and it's about showing others Christ. Um, But I like that idea of the race. Like, we are, we're in a race, not against one another, but for Christ, and we want to finish well. So we have to do all of these things well. Um, So in order to do that, we have to, I'm going to go back to be proactive for just a minute. So he also outlines, this is Covey, these four, and I've drawn them on board, these four quadrants to help us examine how and where we're spending our time now so we can look backwards, but also to plan our time better in the future. And that's a key, in my mind, that's a key of looking at these quadrants. It's not even, it's, it's good to look backwards, but it's better to look forward. And I'll show you why. These are all functions of things in our lives that are important and urgent. And what's the degree of importance versus urgency? That's where the quadrants come from. Okay, so quadrant one is a place where we often spend time. These are the things that are both important and they're urgent. Okay, this is where we spend a lot of our time. This is when I think, at least for my own life as I've examined, I get anxious. I get frustrated because why is this urgent? Why is it now the last minute and I have to do it, right? These are my Martha, Martha moments. Why did I let this go till the last minute? Or why did I let someone else push this on me at the last moment? Not that that's always bad if we're bearing one another's burdens, okay? There's balance in all things, but this is where we tend to spend a lot of our time, quadrant one, and believe it or not, here. Things that are urgent, a.k.a. pressing on us, but not necessarily important. So we have to think about the balance of here versus, so that's quadrant three, things that are urgent, but not necessarily important, but maybe someone else has given them a label of important and they've put them on us. So we have to be careful with this quadrant. Quadrant two, I would argue, is where we ought to be spending the most of our time because these are important things, but they're not urgent. We need to do the quadrant two things before they force themselves or before the clock or the calendar forces them into quadrant one. This is where we can do things with a sense of calm, with a sense of peace, with a sense of thoughtfulness, with enough sleep (laughs) to do them well. Um, because whether or not we realize it when we're sleep deprived, we're not at our best. 
Um, although the Holy Spirit can do wonders. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Um, and then quadrant four is really interesting. These are not important, nor are they urgent. So this is kind of just for the fun of it stuff. Now, granted, we all need a break. This is where we take our break, right? Um, this isn't even like exercise and recreation because that has purpose. That has value. That's important. Sorry. Important, but probably not urgent, right? When you're in a health crisis, now you're here. Not only is it important because it's your health, but it's also urgent. So everything in our lives fits into one of these four quadrants. So um, this is, again, like kind of just going back to that idea of being proactive. This is where it comes into play. So am I planning out my time in my week, putting first things first, important, but not last, because that's when they end up in the urgent category, right? First things first means they're not urgent right now, but they are ultimately important. These are the spiritual things that we should be spending our time on, and it's good to be there. So does your week shape up well when you're not intentional about where you're spending your time? It doesn't for me. I sometimes look back at a day or a week and go, oh, man, what got done this week? Where did my time go? And sometimes I'll actually really stop to think about, was there productivity in any area? And often the Lord is very gracious to give me glimpses of things that did get done. Um, But sometimes I just look back and go, wow, I really wasted a lot of time this week. Like John Piper dedicated a whole book to it. He said, don't waste your life. Right? And there was a very strong spiritual component to that. But there's also just a very practical component. How are you spending the time at your job, in your home, in your kitchen, in your child's education, whether it's taking them back and forth to school and not looking for someone to carpool with, whether it's homeschooling um, and fostering too much independence so that it pulls you back in later or not fostering enough independence so it sucks you in in the moment, you know, whatever the things are that you spend your time doing, like think about your time in the kitchen, you know, think about your resources in your refrigerator, talk about budgets and inflation, like it hurts now more than ever to throw food away because I didn't properly plan my meals. Um, And... I hope I'm the only one in the, in the room doing that right now, but sometimes I do. Sometimes the week just flies by and I'm like, where did it go? Um, but perhaps you have good habits that are so firmly trenched in place that you usually look back and go, yep, I checked the boxes. I got the things done that were important this week. And only a couple ended up in that urgent category. Because I think no matter how well we plan, things will always end up in the urgent category. Because this is a very sanctifying quadrant, right? How do we handle those things when they all of a sudden become urgent and we weren't expecting them to be? And how do we handle things that are urgent now because someone else has put them on us, even though in our minds they're not really that important? Um, These are all sanctifying places. So I argue we will be more joy-filled Christians when we're more intentional about how we're spending that time, about our relationship with him, then with all the others we're surrounded by, both believers and unbelievers. So um, we talked last week about, you know, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And I think that our spirits are willing because you all got up and came to Sunday school early, right? Um, But our flesh is all weak at one point or another. So um, we... We tend to be the weakest when we're focused on the wrong things, right? Peter was 
at the weakest spiritually when he was furthest from Christ. When he was with, walking side by side with Jesus, he was stronger. He was, he did more for the Lord because he was right there with him. And then, oh man, you look at the New Testament when he had the Holy Spirit and he was unstoppable. And I have lots of examples. We've kind of run out of time, so I'll just read this one. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. um, Our faith, this isn't a direct quote, but it's just a, a comment about it. Our faith results in praise, glory, and honor when we see Christ even in the trials that grieve us. He is doing something. He is at work. Sometimes just seeing this can cause us to rejoice. Um, we know from Romans 8.1 that there is now no condemnation in Christ. We do not stand condemned. Romans 8.6, we set the mind on the spirit, which is life and peace. And we all know Romans 8.28, we place our trust in him who has promised that, quote, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so verses 6 and 7 that I got that from say, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, here's the purpose statement, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so in the spirit of keeping our quadrants straight and doing the things that help us put first things first, help us be proactive, help us to synergize our efforts, help us to do all of those seven habits of highly effective people for Christ, I invite you back on December 31st in January 2nd, we will be doing a series on the spiritual disciplines, or if you prefer, the means of grace. Um, and I would love it if you guys would come with some examples of what are the things that you do to put first things first. Um, I was actually talking with someone about this, and she looked at me, she goes, and she is one who wants to be in Sunday school, but is not currently in Sunday school. She goes, kind of like going to Sunday school. I'm like, oh, I didn't really think about that as a spiritual discipline, but it is. So it's great. It's growth for us. So if you have friends who want to be in Sunday school, invite them on the 31st. You ladies have two weeks off, um, but we will come back and we'll be kind of going through a series on some of those very practical spiritual disciplines. And then we have a power-packed first quarter. We will be talking about lots of things and great teachers on deck. So I hope you will continue coming, but... um, Would you close us in prayer as we go, Jen? Thank you. Lord God, we just humbly come before you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and the lives of people around us, Lord. And we just ask that we be a light and encouragement to to those that we share life with, Lord, and that we would see joy um, in what you're doing in our lives, even when it's hard. And I just pray for our hearts as we go into the sanctuary to listen to what you have for us uh, again, Lord. I just pray that um, we would apply it and that we would see what you're trying to teach us clearly. And, Lord, that you would just bless the time we have together. In your name, amen. Amen.